Welcome to the Metro Detroit Pastors Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Bushry. It's been a tumultuous week. Uh, we are recording this show following the storming of our nation's Capitol building in the wake of a hotly contested and volatile election. Uh, this, of course, is coupled with the increasingly difficult race situation we have in our country, and it's all wrapped up in a pandemic. And so it, it's just a really tough time right now in our, in our country and uh, in our world. And I, I suppose that every generation has its difficulties. That, uh, we're not unique in that sense. We, we live in a world that has always had difficulties, but it feels like, and this is very, a very subjective feeling, but it feels like our problems uh, have been uh, worse lately. And I think this, this cultural moment is, is difficult for pastors in a unique way. When people are opinionated and angry, they become very difficult to lead. But that's our whole job as pastors. Our whole job as pastors is simply to lead people. I mean, the very word pastor means shepherd, a word chosen to describe the hard work of leading, feeding, and protecting the people of the church. That's, so churches are led by pastors, and pastors thereby, by definition, are leaders of people. And I know that most of us would like to think that we have prepared our churches well for, for such a time as this, but there is just so much happening all at once that, that most pastors I know are pretty unsure of what to do. How do we handle uh, just leading our churches well through a difficult uh, period in our culture? We know we need to keep preaching the gospel. I'm thankful for that. All the pastors that I speak with, the ones who love Jesus and are really leading people uh, right now, we know we need to keep preaching the gospel. We know we need to keep counseling people with God's word toward a fuller understanding and a closer walk with Jesus, but we're not sure how much to engage with what's happening in our society or how to help our congregations think about it. To what degree do we uh, help our people get involved in these conversations, or should we avoid these conversations? What do we do, and how do we prepare? A few months ago, uh, I, was, I was scrolling mindlessly through my Facebook feed, and I came across a thoughtful challenge on this issue from my friend and, and fellow pastor, uh, Brian Evans. Brian is the pastor of 5.7 Community Church on Detroit's east side, and he is joining me here today. Hey, Brian. Hey, Kyle. Good to be here. Yeah, man. Thank you for coming in. I really, really appreciate. It. I loved. I I love uh, the the perspective that you brought uh, to some of these questions. Um, so we'll get into that in a bit. But tell us a little bit uh, about five point seven. I know you you planted five point seven Community mm-hmm. Church in two thousand seventeen. How's it been going down there? It's been it's been good. It's been a it's been a challenge. Um, we are planting in a very rough area. Uh, you've been over to the church before a couple of years ago. Um, we're in a very rough area on the east side, not far from where I was born and raised. I grew up on the east side of Detroit. Oh, okay. And um, so it's it's been a long uh, burden and desire of mine to preach the gospel in the community where I was born and raised. Wow. And uh, we thank God the Lord has blessed us with that opportunity. So hmm. um, we've had the opportunity to preach the gospel and serve the community. And uh, God has been sustaining us. It's been it's been tough at times, but God has been blessing us. Has this last year been difficult for you as a pastor? Oh, most definitely. <laughs> I mean, 
you know, we've never been prepared to do ministry during a pandemic. No. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's been it's been challenging this year. That's one thing I've been noticing too. People are asking me. You know, uh, I was just talking to some folks about uh, you know the greatest challenges coming up for pastors in 2021, mm-hmm. and people asked me that question, and I answered it, but I put an asterisk on it and I said, look. If you'd asked me a year ago what the greatest challenge was for 2020, I mm. never would have come up with hands-free communion That's as right. one of That's the challenges. Right. <laughs> I never would have come up with, uh, I have to move my entire church online yeah. as yeah. one of the challenges. So, yeah, yeah it's been, it's been uh, a rough year for sure. But I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear it. You know, not everybody um, who comes from, as you put it, a, a rough part of town mm. would be quick to return there while wanting to return there mm. and, and, and be a ministry there. What? What was it inside of you that said, man, I, I want to go back to this place. I want to be a pastor here. Well, it's two things that I love. Uh, I love my community where I was born and raised. Um, you know, I wouldn't trade my childhood for nothing in the world, mm-hmm. even though I grew up poor and rough. Uh, I grew up in a wonderful community, and I love mm-hmm. my community here in Detroit. And the other thing I love is Reformed theology. <laughs> I love biblical Christianity. and. Uh, as I was uh, beginning to learn Reformed theology, uh, the first thing I did was say, well, why is this not being taught in my community? How come uh, none of the churches around here are preaching and teaching this? Mm-hmm. And um, for a while, I, I tried to find ways of how I could um, influence my community and preach and teach what I was believing and what I loved until finally God showed me that I'm going to have to actually just start from scratch. And You're going to have to do it yourself. <laughs> exactly. If you don't see it happening anywhere, yeah. I guess that's you, right? That's right. That's You're right. the, you're the leader that's been called to step mm-hmm. up. That's really cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming in. Um, I, uh, I was, as I was saying before, I was reflecting on a, on a, a Facebook um, post that you, you had. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, not often that you're really moved by a Facebook post, but mm-hmm. I was uh, back mm-hmm. in November as I was scrolling through. Um, uh, and so let me, let me just start with what, what you wrote that had me booking you for this show as soon as I, as I could. Uh, you wrote this. I'm quoting you now, Brian. Mm. Uh, you wrote, In the light of all that has been happening in our country this year, socially and politically, the sad reality which has been exposed is that most American Christians have no Christian worldview at all. The average American Christian is completely incapable of applying sound biblical principles to the social and political issues of our day. Most of our people follow the same emotion-based humanistic logic of the culture rather than the Bible. You know, that is, uh, that is quite a statement. Mm. Now, I'm not going to hold you to proving what the average American Christian is capable of doing, okay? I get, you know, sometimes we, we, we write with some hyperbole. I get that. Yeah. But, but I think that you are onto something mm. when you write this. And, and so expound on this. Would you, would you explain what, what is the problem that you're seeing? Yeah. Well, uh, when I wrote this, it was uh, a, f- a few days after um, the presidential election uh, uh, Joe Biden and the Donald Trump presidential election. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was very uh, grieved and upset with, I think the way a lot of Christians were approaching this election. And it, and it's not just the election. There's a lot of things that, that have been going on over the last year with regards to uh, how the churches should respond to COVID with regards to um, the protesting, the black lives matter, uh, I mean, it's just been so much political and social upheaval in our society. But the thing I've been noticing uh, with a lot of 
Christians. Um, and again, yeah, maybe I was being a little uh, exaggerating a little bit with saying most Christians. I don't know. But no, but you're right. There's a lot of people. There's definitely that a, a lot, lot yep. of Christians who are approaching these issues not from a biblical perspective, but they're following the same logic of the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about the Christian worldview, and what I, what I mean by that is, you know, we're good. A lot of us as Christians, we're good at quoting Bible verses. We're good at repeating Christian cliches, but there's not many Christians who understand how those Bible verses fit into a theological system, mm-hmm. a, a consistent, coherent system, which enables them to critique the culture and apply biblical principles politically, socially, culturally in every way. And so, uh, you know, and I'll just specifically talk about the election. One of the things that really bothered me is I saw a lot of my Christian friends on Facebook celebrating the fact that a certain person was going to be the first uh, black female uh, vice president and celebrating the fact that, uh, you know, this person has, uh, uh, won the election and we're going to have this gender in office or we're going to have this race in office. When in reality, the way I understand it, we shouldn't be voting for candidates because of their sex or because of their gender, mm-hmm. but we should be voting for people who reflect biblical policies and biblical principles. Mm. And, and I think a lot of Christians, the reason why I say I think a lot of Christians do not have a Christian worldview is because I, I see Christians do a couple of things. They'll, say they, they'll look at politics and say, well, politics is unspiritual. It don't have anything to do with praying and fasting and reading the Bible. This is mundane stuff. So I'm just not going to engage in this at all. I'm just going to focus on religious, spiritual stuff. And they look at choosing a political candidate the way they would choose uh, what they're going to eat for dinner tonight. You know, they don't see the connection between political policy and worldview. Or then you have others who who they will... uh, They'll say, well, um, this, is, this don't have anything to do with the kingdom. I, I, I'm all about the kingdom of God. And they don't understand how political policies um, can be evil and can be anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, the, thing, the fact of the matter is, and, and I thought about this, um, there are philosophies and ideas and worldviews behind everything that we do. That's right. There is no moral gray area. All consequences are the result of ideas Mm -hmm. and political platforms, political policies. They are the result of philosophies. And I I was thinking about um, Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, a passage I've been reflecting on quite a bit, where Paul says that we destroy arguments and lofty opinions and everything which exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so Every ideology that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, we as Christians need to oppose and demolish that. And that, mm-hmm. uh, that involves also political ideas. Yeah. So what, do you, what has happened, do you think, that has allowed for Christians in the church, ones who are faithful to Jesus, people who profess faith in Christ, mm-hmm. right? Not just using the label, but who, who love Jesus, to sort of... Uh, compartmentalize yeah. their their praying and their Bible reading and their worship and their religious part of their life from their uh, political engagement and decision making and uh, and and that's what what is what has caused that that trans that um, that uh, compartmentalization yeah. to take place? Do you think? 
Yeah, I think it's a few things responsible for that, but the main thing I think is just um, ignorance of sound biblical theology. You know, just a minute again, a minute ago, I talked about my love for Reformed theology. Right, right. The thing that really attracted me to Reformed theology was the high view it has of God mm-hmm. and the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. Um, biblical Christianity teaches that there is nothing outside of God's sovereign control. Mm-hmm. Everything is under God's control. All of history is the unfolding of God's eternal purpose. And so we're not just down here spent wasting time. God is fulfilling his plan, his purpose, his redemptive plan. And so there is nothing we should look at and say, well, this has nothing to do with God's purpose or plan. Mm. No, every, everything is to be brought in that passage I quoted from 2 Corinthians 10. Paul talks about demolishing these lofty ideas and making them obedient to Christ. Hmm. All things are to submit to Christ. And so I think that uh, we have uh, a diminished view of God. Hmm. We don't see God as as absolutely sovereign and in control of history and in control of the world. Mm -hmm. So we compartmentalize God and think that, you know, God is just, we pull him out of the hat on Sunday for an hour <laughs> yeah. and a half. Yep. And then the rest of the week we go on about our jobs and stuff. And they don't see that all of life is to be lived before the face of God. Yeah. It's like, I have a, I have the religious Christian me. Yeah. I have the political me. Yep. I don't really put, I don't bring they these don't two together. The I'm two. not letting one right. inform the other exactly. in any way. Yeah. Um, so, so, so you, I, I, if I hear you right, what I'm, what I'm hearing you saying is, if if you understand your Christian worldview, if you have a well-formed mm-hmm. Christian worldview, it's going to impact how you critique everything yeah. that is happening around you. Um, That's right. That's yeah. right. Even, I mean, and, and, uh, and again, even the stuff going on in our culture right now with a lot of the racial tension, with a lot of the uh, fighting over over the whole gender and the sex thing, your Christian worldview is going to affect the way you look at all of those things. Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing happening in our culture today is, you see, there once was a time where um, the Christian worldview, even though most people couldn't articulate it, yet there was a time in this country where most Americans were influenced and shaped by a Christian worldview, a Judeo-Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, our view of government, our view of economics, our view of marriage and the family was in some way or another shaped by Christian principles. Mm-hmm. That's no longer the, cl- the case in America now. Yeah, that's right. Now um, people, we, we are, we've moved to a post-Christian uh, society, and the way people look at things now is from a secular humanist perspective. Mm. And, and I truly believe that what we're seeing is the emergence of a new religion in our society. Sure. And I, I really think it's a, it's a new religion based upon Marxist mm-hmm. ideals. Uh, it's, it's an idea which sees the problem in the, in the world as being oppression and class struggle and uh, uh, people of different races battling for power. And, um, and so if you just notice, if you look at our society today, everything is about identity. Yeah. Everything is about LBGTQ, everything is about man versus woman, black versus white. This is the, it's, it's like wokeness is the new religion today. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yep. it, it's, it's, to me, that's what it is. It's yep. a religion. So have you read Carl Truman's new book? I'm curious. 
No, I haven't. Oh, you need to because he's he he gives the history of exactly what you're describing right mm. now. But basically, he's arguing the same point, mm. and that is in our secular worldview, our secular humanistic worldview that yeah. is dominant in our culture. Yeah. Uh, the identity, uh, the the idea of identity, yeah. uh, has worked its way to such a uh, is, is so th- uh, therapeutic. It's so from yeah. within mm-hmm. that my identity is 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 ultimately who I am on the inside mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that the new oppression mm-hmm. is is now anything that would that would say that that my identity as I see it is not is I'm not being true to myself culture mm-hmm. is causing me not to be true to myself and that's mm-hmm. the new oppression yeah. and he actually goes through and he shows the marxist uh, and uh, Freudian actually yeah. roots yeah. Uh, all the way back to Rousseau actually he, yes. he argues yeah. all the way back to the romantics and says uh, and shows how the the poetry of the romantics and Rousseau mm-hmm. and all that kind of led to this this place that we're at in this cultural moment where mm-hmm. every single person's personal identity is the most important thing in the world, yeah. and culture is simply uh, an oppressor. Yes. on top yeah. of that, that's, um, that's exactly where we are. Yeah, and so Christians, of course, we don't find our identity from within. That's the mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest mm-hmm. gospel switch. Right mm-hmm. is. Uh, the biggest challenge I think the gospel has to our current cultural climate is you don't, your identity is in Christ. Amen. You're, you're part of the body of Christ. You, you don't define who you are. Mm-hmm. Human nature isn't determined by what you think about yourself. It's determined by who God who created you says you are. That's right. And who he created you to be. Um, and that's a huge worldview switch. So I'm wondering because of that important worldview switch, uh, Brian, can you can you give an example of how thinking biblically about a specific social issue would take a Christian in a different direction away from the conclusions that our culture has arrived at? Yeah. Um, well, I, again, while we're on the subject, I'll just I'll just put it this way: um, in our society, the greatest evil is today is viewed as you know, white supremacy, that's, that's the big problem. So much so until all the problems in society are the result of systemic oppression or of white, white supremacy. So therefore, we, we live in a society now where the big, um, it's like the new salvation is to, is to end white supremacy and, and promote uh, egalitarianism Mm -hmm. make everybody equal you know and again this Mm -hmm. is the the conclusion you get to if you follow this marxist ideology Mm -hmm. whereas societal evil is the result of one group of people oppressing another group of people Mm. but now when you look at but if you look at societal evil from a biblical worldview the bible doesn't teach that societal evil is the result of one group of people oppressing another group of people The biblical narrative is that societal evil is the result of the fall. Yeah. And, and evil and injustice originates within the sinful hearts of human beings. It has nothing to do with skin color. It has nothing to do with class. It has nothing to do with gender. Mm-hmm. All human beings are evil. So therefore, you're not going to solve societal evil by deconstructing society, by uh, tearing down systems of oppression. The only way to rid the society of, of, of societal evil is by transforming hearts through the gospel. Yeah. And so, um, again, I'm not saying that that doesn't mean that there's things we need to do politically. Yeah. But we need to put our energy and emphasis on preaching Christ 
on making disciples, on on uh, advancing God's kingdom, because that's the only thing that's mm-hmm. going to uh, get rid of societal evil. Yeah, absolutely. U- ultimately, the Bible is very clear on that, that, mm-hmm. that it's only in Christ that, that evil right. is vanquished, that people are made new that's right. into new creations. That's right. So if you want someone you know, from, from the other side, from the, 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 the side of a person that wants to see society transformed, the way to transform society is to transform the people that That's live right. in that society, That's right. but that their hearts and minds are made new. And so that then they have a love for one another, that mm-hmm. love that we're called to have for one another. It's, it's actually, it's interesting. It's, it's ironic almost that the, by rejecting the gospel, society would actually be pushing away the very thing that would bring about the love that's right. That's right. that they're seeking. So, and I'm, I'm right with you on that. What, what would you say then to the person who is in your, in your congregation? I'm sure you've had this conversation <laughs> who, who comes to you and says, you know, pastor, I, I understand what mm-hmm. you're saying, but I still feel like we need to engage mm-hmm. with these societal problems. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I want to be involved in that. Like, how would you counsel that person? Yeah. I believe it's totally legitimate to deal with real issues of injustice and real um, issues of, uh, of oppression. But the thing is, we, got, we have to always see things truthfully and accurately. Mm-hmm. We, can't allow our, we can't allow the culture to define our terms. You know, and, and, and I, think one of the, um, I think one of the big uh, fights or the big, or the big debates today is over what really constitute an injustice. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. is, if, is, is, is because you make more money than I do, mm-hmm. um, is that an injustice because you make more money than I do or because you have more privileges than I do? That means you owe me something. Um, that's an injustice against me. So... Yeah, I believe in speaking out against injustice, Mm -hmm. but justice is defined by God, by the Bible. And so what we need to do is look at what the Bible says true injustice is, what is true justice from a biblical perspective, and not allow ourselves to follow uh, Marxist ideology. Yeah, yeah. yeah, That's that's one of the ways that uh, those who seek justice um, are tripped up and struggle in this yeah. world is because they're not defining it biblically exactly. at exactly. all. Exactly. And that's a good word, man. You also wrote, uh, another thing I see happening in 2020 is that God is purging his church. He is doing some separating. He is exposing all of the fake Christians and all of the fake and unreliable church leaders. Uh, I, I have <laughs> through, through the entire year said, I feel like the Lord is exposing yeah. some things. I think he's, yeah. I think he's pulling the dormant mm-hmm. idols of our heart. Yes. I think he's bringing those things to the surface. So I think you're exactly right. 2020 does seem to have this, this yes. winning effect. Um, can you elaborate on this? What exactly is causing uh, this exposure of fake and, as you put it, unreliable Christianity? Yes, a couple of things that I have in mind there. Um, one thing has to do with the response to COVID. Mm. Um, Back in March, I was totally on board with the idea of shutting down churches. Mm. Um, none of us knew what we were dealing with. Right. Um, and so it made sense to say, hey, let's, let's, let's stop meeting and um, let's see what's going on here. Sure. Um, take a break. Yeah, take a break. Yep. But um, 
what I've noticed now, and I tell you, I was so naive. Hmm. One of the things I said, I I was talking to some other pastors, and we were talking about how, wow, this could really lead to some revival. You know, Hmm. once the church's been closed for a couple of months and people can't be exposed to the preaching of the word and taking the sacraments and fellowshipping with their brothers and sisters, People are going to be running to get back in church and, <laughs> yep. and you, and you know, you're seeing all of this stuff falling apart in society and people are going to be hungry to get back to the church. And boy, was I wrong. Yep. Mm. Um, I think folks have gotten way too comfortable with being away from church. Um, you see pastors here who um, I saw, I saw a pastor joking about, uh, you know, there, there was in the black uh, gospel community, there was a song called he's an on time God. <laughs> And uh, when somebody talked about when are you going to open up your church, he started singing and saying he's an online God. Oh, my oh goodness. yes, he is. <laughs> um, I, I didn't find that funny. No. You know, I mean, my thing is this. Um, if you're going to close your church down because you've talked with the elders and you believe that that's the right thing to do, that's one thing. But that's a decision that every pastor should make with tears in his eyes mm-hmm. because church is essential. It is essential. There is no substitute for gathering publicly to worship God uh, with God's people. That church is essential. And so I've seen pastors, and and another thing I I noticed, you know, back when the Black Lives Matter uh, protesting was going on, I see pastors who got their churches closed because it's not safe to gather for worship, but they're bringing their congregations down to march with Black Lives Matter on Sunday. Hmm. So you're telling me that. It's not, you don't, you're not willing to risk gathering publicly to worship God, but it's important enough for you to risk going down to march and protest systemic racism. Hmm. So what I'm saying is that I think that some of these things that we're dealing with in the country today is exposing where people's priorities are. Like you said before, it's exposing some idols. Um, It's exposing that some of us have idols of security and safety. We care more about being safe than we care about worshiping God. Um, some of us have made an idol of our race and of our culture. Um, we see ourselves as by our ethnicity first before we see ourselves as mm. Christians. Yeah. Um, and then and another thing that I, I've seen is, um, again, even with the politics thing, where um, you have people who are supporting an agenda that is totally anti-Christian because the politician um, is part of the camp you want to identify with. So people are showing that identifying with Christ is not their main identity. Yeah. Yeah. This, um, when, when every, when (laughs) it seems every group wants you to identify wholeheartedly with that group to be part of that group, it's hard to say, you know what I stand as a person who identifies in Christ with with the body of Christ, mm-hmm. and I'm going to, I, there are going to be movements and there are going to be decisions that are made in our culture that I'm going to more or less agree with, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, I'm part of the That's body right. of Christ. That's right, and I, and I think what's happening in our country, our country is becoming more and more anti-Christian, mm-hmm. and you're not, as Christian people, we're not going to be able to hide our head under the sand and just wait for this thing to blow over. Because they're forcing the issue. Mm. I think increasingly we're getting more to the place where you're going to be forced to take sides. Mm. And what's happening is that I'm seeing a lot of Christian leaders and and Christian people 
who are taking the wrong side. Yeah. And I, I know these are hard decisions. Uh, I know that a lot of our listeners here have been struggling with this, trying to figure out where to land on this. Um, I, I too, my, my, uh, view has, has been changed and tweaked as it seems like the rules change on what to do uh, as a church almost every week yeah. over this last year. Uh, I, I definitely have, um, have, uh, evolved in my view and my thinking as well on what we need to be doing as a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I just uh, got done teaching on this uh, very thing, uh, uh, recognizing that you cannot I don't know what the impact on the church is going to be. I, I want, there was a time when I thought kind of like what you said, you know, this is going to, this is going to breed, breed an incredible desire right. in the hearts of people to, in the church to want to get back into church community. Mm-hmm. And now I'm seeing that, you know, you do anything for a long period of time That's right. and it goes from being a behavior yep. to a pattern of behavior right. to a value in your heart. Yep. And it may be that God is winnowing out yeah. the church. A bit. I I don't know. I can't. I'm no prophet. Right. Um. It does. It does seem that way. Yeah. Uh, there's no way. There's a lot of Christians who haven't been to church since March, hmm. and there's no way you can be out of public worship for almost a year and it had and it not have a negative impact on you spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. And I I, I want. I just want. Uh. I, you know. I I think that it's not like an irrecoverable. Uh, place to be uh, as long as Christians recognize that and go, oh, yeah, you know what? This isn't natural. This mm-hmm. isn't normal. I need to start making my you know, way back into mm-hmm. Christian community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what the church looks like a year from now. I don't, I don't know what, it, what it'll be. I'm, I'm hopeful for all of this to blow over, pass by, for us to get out of this, yeah. this time period of pandemic and get back to uh, being able to have a, a, just sort of a, an open society where people mm-hmm. can come and go. Uh, and not feel scared, um, but uh, but it may last a little bit longer and have a a, a, a detrimental impact on the church community. Mm. Uh, you're a you're a big advocate of of teaching the next generation of the church to be biblically and uh, to be biblical and critical thinkers. Obviously, based mm. on this post, this desire to see the church uh, become uh, engaged uh, and to think biblically and critically about the world around it. What specifically uh, is it that, that uh, you think the church needs to be doing to equip its people right now to do the very thing that, that, you were, that you've been talking about, of, of thinking biblically and critically about yeah. our culture? Yeah, and, and of course, there are a number of faithful churches that are doing these things. But I think that there's definitely a sense of urgency to go deep with theological education. Uh, I mean... You know, unfortunately, over the last few decades, we've been dumbing things down because we've been seeker sensitive, trying to get the crowd in. Mm. But I think we really need to focus on educating people to know what they believe, Mm. why they believe it, especially our youth and our young people, because Mm. the colleges and the universities and and even the public school level, uh, public school education all the way down to the elementary level are nothing less than indoctrination camps. Yes, they are. You know, they are indoctrinating our children into this uh, political correctness, Mm -hmm. Um, this intersectional critical theory view of the world. Uh, It's being, we're being inundated with this stuff Mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. And if we don't understand, just like we were talking about a minute ago, what is the difference between a biblical view of justice and a Marxist view of justice. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of Christians who are going along with some of this stuff 
because they just don't know. Right. I think there's a lot of, I believe there's a lot of pastors out here who are jumping on this bandwagon because as pastors, they don't know what Marxism is. They don't know what critical race theory is. They don't know how to recognize the roots of those ideologies that are behind some of the different movements that are happening. Yes. I think for a lot of folks and a lot of, maybe even a lot of pastors, they see the they see the results or the fruit or maybe just sort of the surface message of something. They go, mm-hmm. well, that sounds like it might line up with my gospel right. understanding. Right. And so they say, I'm going to be part of that or I'm going to, I'm going to parrot that. I'm going to make mm-hmm. that part of, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to at least maybe put my verbal blessing on what's mm-hmm. happening there, mm-hmm. not recognizing how anti-gospel some of the mm-hmm. roots are of mm-hmm. some of those things mm-hmm. that are, that are taking place. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, in Ephesians 4, which is the classic passage about uh, ministry and, and discipleship. Um, Paul mentions there that the goal of discipleship is to bring the, the Christian to the, to the unity of the faith, to full maturity in Christ, to the point where they are no longer tossed to and fro by the winds of doctrine, but that they may be able to discern between sound, and, sound doctrine and, and what is deception. And so that's what I'm talking about in terms of true discipleship and, and Christian education. And again, especially uh, targeting our young people yeah. so that they, uh, so that they can defend their faith in this uh, anti-Christian society as it is increasingly becoming more anti-Christian. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you, Brian. I want to thank you so much for coming in. You know, it's not Thanks every day that uh, you get your Facebook posts read back to you <laughs> and then that you have to then explain those posts on a podcast. Um, uh, in fact, I'm really glad that doesn't happen every day, but I'm thankful for your willingness to do that uh, because I think exploring uh, some of those ideas is incredibly fruitful. Um, and uh, I just, uh, so thanks, thanks for being, being Well, here thanks for that. having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. And if you live on the east side of Detroit and you want to check out a service at 5.7, I, I invite you to visit their website at 5.7.org. Now that is the number five, the word point, and the number seven dot org, 5.7.org. And also please subscribe to the Metro Detroit Pastors Podcast so you can stay up to date on every new episode that drops. We drop one every other Monday throughout the spring. At MDP, we're working to fuel the light of the gospel in Metro Detroit for the glory of God.